Well, it really is good to be with you guys. Uh, like Mark said, you know, I'm born and raised in Lubbock, Texas, and uh, left Lubbock and didn't think I'd ever come back. And so be careful what you uh, ask the Lord, because he'll put you where you don't want to be. <laughs> but uh, we're really grateful to be here this morning. Um, like Mark said, I, I work at Redeemer. I'm the family and missions pastor there. I've been there about two years. And um, yeah, Mark said uh, we spent time overseas. We're a few months shy of 15 years in, uh, in China, like he said. And um, adjusting back in America is a lot like going in the first place. Um, you know, we got there and we didn't know a lick of what to do and how to do it. And I feel a lot like that here in America. I've completely forgotten how to be American. And my kids are learning it for the first time. And so, for example, I didn't know how to pay our utility bills. And so we went without hot water for a few weeks, those type of things. Luckily, it was in August, and we had a water hose. But, uh, <laughs> but the other day, my, my kids are really learning the most. Just little small jargon, things like that, it's going to school, never done that. And the other day, my son, who's about to be 14, uh, for student council, he was supposed to get puppy chow for his teachers. Well, he doesn't know what that is, right? So my wife found him in the garage digging our dog food. <laughs> putting it in the Ziplocs. We're like, what are you doing? He said, I'm just getting my teacher, you know, puppy chow. I'm like, uh, that's not what that means. So <laughs> we'll just, we'll chalk that up to uh, Asian ignorance instead of a 14-year-old boy. But uh, no, and all, we really are glad to be here. We, um, so from Lubbock, in college, Veronica and I really began to feel the Lord calling us overseas. And uh, we were married fairly young. And so as soon as we graduated from college, we went. And um we're there. So in 1999, we went through training, and uh, they made us wait till Y2K passed because they didn't know if our plane would drop in the middle of the sky, you know, that thing, and uh, if we'd be have, you know, have internet and all that. So we waited till the first part of uh, 2000 and then left and came back in uh, 2014, I guess. I don't, I can't, I'm getting old, but um, somewhere around there. We were in uh, the southwest part of China in Guizhou province. We were there for 10 years working with an unreached people group called the Dong People Group. There's about 1.5 million and only a handful of believers uh, that we know of. And then uh, I'll tell you this story later, but we were kicked out of that province and moved to a different one next door and worked with a, another people group that was a Thai people group. And uh, they're Buddhists, about 600,000, and uh, a few more believers, but just a really hard area. Um, yeah, so that's what we did. We I ran an aquaponics farm the last five years. I don't know if you guys know what aquaponics is. We can talk about it later. But um, you basically raise vegetables in water. And so we did that as community development to get out into villages and things like that. Uh, a lot of fun. Had a great time. Came back here to be just on a, a furlough, a stateside. Really worn out, tired. And uh, usually when we come back, about two months into it, we're ready to, to hit it again. And this time just really felt the Lord was calling us to be here, and we're like, wait a minute, you know, are you, am I hearing you right? Are you want us to be here? And uh, one thing led to another, and I ended up at Redeemer. I've known Dusty for a long, long time, and uh, so been working there, and super, super humbled to be here with you guys this morning. Dusty is a big fan of Todd, and all of us over at Redeemer love Melanie Park and what you guys are doing, and my, my relationship with you guys has really blossomed over the last year, like Mark says, through the, the International Cultural Exchange, and you guys joining in, what we're trying to do and loving international students and trying to earn the right to, to love on them and serve them in order to share the gospel. In fact, um, last Sunday, we baptized an Iranian girl at Redeemer who has believed through the International Cultural Exchange. So 
awesome stuff is happening. Just keep plugging away, loving all these guys. It took them one year before they, she uh, opened up and let them share the gospel with her. In fact, the first time that she met them, she said, I'm sure you guys are doing this so you can share Jesus with me, but save your breath. I don't want to hear it. And they said, okay. And they loved on her for a, a whole year until Christmas last year and finally got to share the story, and her salvation happened quick. Jesus really pursued her. So keep after it. Keep loving on those guys. I know it's hard sometimes, but keep after it. So, um, you know, I've talked to Jason, and he said you guys are, have been learning about what biblical hospitality means. And that, that's really why I'm here is to talk about, you know, how we open up our lives, our homes, in order to have internationals, or, or we go. And that's what missions is about. And we'll dive, in, dive into that here in a minute. But we're going to talk mainly about the kingdom and who our king is and that he's coming back, and if we're ready or not, and what we can do about it, okay? So I think of a lot of us really don't get what all the fuss about missions really is. Like, hey, just leave me alone. I want to live here. I want to raise my family. I want my kids to go to school. I want to work. Just leave me alone. And we're like, I hate missions week. I don't want to hear it because it makes me uncomfortable. And if that's the case, if you guys, you know, feel that, then I think we're going about it all wrong as pastors. We're talking about missions in a way that isn't really connecting to you in a biblical way. And so I want to talk about that because um, if we get a biblical understanding of who God is, then we understand what missions is all about. And so it'll challenge us to live on mission. It'll challenge us to take risk for his name as our king and working in his kingdom. Okay, so, you know, raising kids, uh, working jobs, you know, family, you name it. It gets hard. It gets hard. And we just put our nose to the grindstone and we work and we work and we do this, we do that. And we realize after a while, we haven't thought about the king. We haven't thought about his kingdom. We haven't thought about Jesus much. You know, we just go to church sometimes. And I get that. I get that. But when we have a right understanding of who God is, that he's a big, huge, almighty, supreme God, it'll shift our worldview. It'll shift how we live. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. All right, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 24. We'll jump around to a few different places, but that's where we're going to start. Matthew chapter 24. We're going to start reading in verse 3. says, as he said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the, the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole earth 
as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Amen. I bet I know what you guys are thinking. Seriously, the guest speaker this morning is going to open up the end time can, really? You know, so just take it easy. We're not going to, you know, pull out some charts and talk about pre-post and all millennialism and left behind and counting the heads of beasts or anything like that. So rest assured. But, you know, there is a time and a place to study end times. In Revelations in particular, it's in the Bible. We should, we should learn it, okay? But we're not going to do that this morning. Instead, like I said, we're going to talk about the king and his kingdom. Okay, but I chose this passage because it's tightly knitted with missions. Okay, and whenever we hear end time stuff, we as Christians, you know, our ears kind of perk up because it's this mystery thing, this thing that's unknown to us. But I think deep inside of all Christians, there's something else going on, and that's the idea of citizenship. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body, by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. And so as Christians, we long to be with our Maker. We long to be with our King. We look forward to the day when all the promises that He made are true. They come, and there's no more promises. It's just, it's all happened. It's fulfilled. It's realized, okay? And so as Christians, we, we like the end time talk. We want to be with Him. We want, our citizenship is in heaven. And one day, we'll get to pull out that ID card and say, this is it, I'm in. I'm in through the blood of Jesus. And that's kind of what is just birthed inside of all of us. Right now, we're aliens and sojourners. That's the language in the Bible. But one day, our citizenship will be a reality. Okay, so this, this verse, these verses in Matthew 24, I think really stir up that citizenship idea in us. The, and that's what the disciples are asking. When will these things be? When will you come back? When is the end of the days? Okay? It's because life is hard. Life is tough. They want the king to return. They want Jesus to come back. In this passage, though, if we just focus on the end times, though, I think we miss the overarching encouragement that Jesus has for us. Okay? So starting in verse 3, the disciples ask two questions. The first one is kind of a, a backstory in Matthew 23. Jesus is in the temple. He's teaching. He gives the Pharisees all the seven woes. I mean, he just lays it on thick really hard, direct, some of his hardest teaching ever, okay? And as they're leaving, Jesus makes a comment about the temple being destroyed. And so now they're on Mount of Olives, like we read, and, and the disciples ask him again, when will these things be? And namely, that's uh, the temple, okay? So in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. The Romans marched into Jerusalem. They sacrificed some bacon items on the altar and tore it down. And to this day, it is no longer there. Okay, so he answered that one. And then he goes on to the second question that says, what will be the signs of your return? And I think the disciples thought this was one big question, but Jesus answers them back and forth in Matthew 24. But we're going to focus mainly here on 4 through 14. Okay, so he takes up the question about his return. And instead of saying it's going to be on this day, it's going to be June 6, you know, 2025. He doesn't say that, does he? Instead, he gives a description of what it'll be like. Kind of like, you know, in our warm winter, if you can tell here on the trees the buds are starting to pop out right and so he's saying it's it's like a fruit you have a tree and it begins to bud and when you see the signs of the bud then you know the end is near because the weather will change the soil will get warmer the bees will start coming out the the blossoms will happen the bees will pollinate the fruit will be you know what i'm saying it's just he's given a description of what it's going to be like and eventually there's a fruit and the fruit is red and kind of round, and you know, when it's firm, then you know it's ripe, 
Okay? So that's what Jesus is saying. So look here at what he says. Um, he talks about that there will be earthquakes, there will be rumors of wars, nations will rise against nations, there will be false prophets, kingdoms against kingdoms, uh, famines and earthquakes. They're going to kill believers. They'll persecute you. Christians will be hated. Many will fall away. Lawlessness will increase. The love of many will, will grow cold. This is fun stuff, isn't it? <laughs> it sounds like a reading from the news, doesn't it? I mean, just think about our country in the last few years. Think about the racism issue alone. It is ripping us apart in this nation. Think about the debate on immigration. Huge, huge rifts and, and turmoil and, and conversations that are just tearing us apart. What about ISIS, who's killing people, murdering people in the name of religion, left and right? Currently in the world, there are 52, at the end of last year, there were 52 wars or conflicts where people were dying. In Syria alone, in the last three years, there's been 200,000 people die. That's almost the size of Lubbock in the last three years. There are 12 million Syrians displaced. 12 million. It really sounds like the end of, of the days. My kids, like I said, I have a 14-year-old. He'll be 14 next week. He has never seen an America that wasn't at war. Afghanistan, Iraq, you name it, terrorism. So Jesus isn't saying, though, it is the end of the day. He's saying this is what it's going to be like. Guys, it'll get worse. It'll get worse. We see people coming in the name of Christ, acting like they are Christ. There's cults all over the world. You know, the drinking the Kool-Aid thing. That's a term that we use often don't drink the Kool-Aid because of cults, of people leading people astray, acting like they're Jesus and when they're not. In Asia, where I've seen, the cults are in an epidemic rate, just growing left and right. There's one called Eastern Lightning. You guys have probably heard about Eastern Lightning. That are, Jesus has come back in the form of a woman. She lives in a cave in the northeast of China. They literally kidnap Christians and pastors, blackmail them, and just manipulate their minds. And it's growing, just rampant. It's growing fast. But look here, in the, in, starting in the middle of verse 6. It says, See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are but the, but the beginning of birth pains. So these are signs of the beginning of the end, guys. It's like a mother. Mothers, you've had kiddos. The beginning of labor is not as intense as the end, is it? But we see in our day, it is happening. There will be an end, all right? I think we need to stop here and ask ourselves, though, what if? Like, what if these things were happening to you? What if you were persecuted because of your association with Jesus? Listen here in, in verse 9. It says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will, will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So what if tomorrow you wake up and America is not what you think? And you join in, in company with the millions of other Christians around the world that live in countries where persecution is a reality. 
what if? Is this a, a West Texas culture thing for you? Or do you have a genuine love and affection for Jesus that will persevere you to the end, that will hold you because you understand you're his, bought by the blood of Jesus? And so you'll take on the association of being known by Jesus and being persecuted and suffering with him that you may know him and be found in him. There was a point about 10 years into uh, our life in in China um, where security was starting to get really tight. And about every two to three weeks, I or somebody on my team would get called into the, the yeah, the police, <laughs> and uh, get questioned, and it was just getting really burdensome, really tiring. And uh, I actually, we were back here in Lubbock for Easter, and I was sitting at 50th Street, Market Street with Dusty, the pastor at Redeemer, and my phone rang, and it was one of my team members, and they said, hey, the police are in your house, it's all going down. And we were scheduled to leave about three days later. So I left family here, well, in Hong Kong, and, and I went in by myself. And I went and talked to the police, you know, trying to figure out what's happened. Hey, give us three weeks, we'll move. And everybody was like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Nothing happened. So I was like, well, you know, maybe this wasn't true. Maybe it didn't really happen. Maybe my team is losing it, you know. <laughs> it could happen. And uh, so I go back to my house. It's about 11 in the morning. There's a knock on my door, and it's my landlord. And he had never, not one time, had come to my apartment. And I said, hey, what are you doing? And he's, he looked at me in the face, and he's just shaking. He said, I don't know what you've done. Get out. Excuse me? What do you mean? He said, get out. They're, they're going to they're gonna put me in jail. They're going to make me lose my job. They're going to, you know, all these things threatening him if they, I wouldn't get forced out. And so, you know, <laughs> it, it comes down to the what if. How am I going to respond? And honestly, I didn't do good. I, I fought him, not physically, but hey, wait a minute. You know, I got a family here. You can't do this. You know, my Americanness came out of me. You can't do this. And he's like, yes, I can. Welcome to a different country. And so in 24 hours overnight, my team and some local brothers and sisters, we packed it all up, the entire house. And the next morning at 8 a.m., I'm sitting on the curb on the road next to a highway down below our apartment, sitting on my couch, eating a peanut butter with strawberry sandwich, because that's all I had, and uh, just sitting there, waiting for the mover truck to come, you know? Didn't know what would happen. And all night long, the landlord and his little posse sat in our living room and gambled and drank very heavily. So it's really trying on the, am I okay with this? Do I really trust that God is sovereign? Do I really trust that in a time where I can't control this situation, do I trust him? And I had good times, I had bad times. And that's what this passage is saying. What if, guys? Right now we live in freedom, but will we always? Some of you may move overseas and you're going to live in a place like this. And that Americanness wants to fight, but ultimately we trust the sovereign God, right? This verse in Matthew also doesn't really give us the right to sit around and gripe. He's not saying, you know, well, in West Texas, I hear this a lot. You know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. You know, whatever that means. I'm not really sure. I've been gone too long. I, I'll, the idioms are lost on me. I have to ask my dad, you know, what's that mean? But, uh, <clears throat> but yeah, he doesn't say that we can just hide in our little Christian bubble, that we should react and hide our kids and shelter them. He doesn't say in this passage that we can sit around and gripe that the Ten Commandments aren't in schools 
and the morality isn't where we want it to be. He's actually saying, guys, as Christians, you have a job to do. And that citizenshipness, that, that longing to be with our king, it connects with the job he gives. And he's saying, all right, go do it. So look here in verse 14. It says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Wait a minute. Did he just say, if we do this, this, and this, the end will come? Did y'all pick up that on that? What does he say? If we take this gospel of the kingdom, you know the story about the king, and we proclaim it throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, then the end will come. See, we, we can't just sit around and gripe and complain. We actually have a job to do. And that job, if we do it, has an incredible result. The king returns. And so as Christians, you, you know, he puts that in us, that sojourn idea. I want to be with my maker. I want to be with my king. And he says, all right, do something about it. Do something about it. Let's break this verse down a little bit. What's the gospel? I think a lot of times we talk about, well, the gospel, the gospel this, the gospel that. And so I'm just going to lay it out so we all are clear on it, okay? So there's a creator. There's a king. He created this beautiful kingdom. And inside this kingdom, he had perfect harmony with his creation, namely a man and a woman. And they had beautiful intimacy, walking in the garden, spending time with each other. What a benevolent, loving king. But there was a deceiver, an anti-king, who came and he talked to the, the man and the woman. He said, hey, if you eat of this fruit, if you'll do what he said not to do, if you do it anyways, you'll become like him. And the man and the woman are thinking, well, he's great. I want to be like him. So they disobey. And immediately they know what they've done. And just like any righteous and just king, he kicks them out of his kingdom. You don't obey the law of the land, you're gone. And they roam the earth looking for ways to have a relationship restored with the king. And he won't have any of it. He's gracious though. He still is merciful and gives him a sacrificial system, right? One that will appease him for just a short period of time. But it just, it ha you know, every year it's tedious. It doesn't work. Finally, the king, he looks at the prince. He says, son... I really want them to know me again. I want them to know me. I want them to enjoy the fellowship that we once had. I want them to know what it's like to be in my kingdom and to sit at my table. Son, I need you to go. I need you to go. And son, they're going to kill you. But it's through you that they can be restored to me. And so the son gladly goes. He obeys the, the king, he obeys the father, and he goes. And he goes and he tells the people, hey, I'm here, I'm the son of God, I'm the son of the king, and if you'll believe in me, you can go back to the kingdom. And what do they do? They kill him. We kill him. The one who is heralding the message of reconciliation, we killed him. But the father is still loving, isn't he? And through the blood of that son. He says, all the offenses that all of us have ever had and will ever have were on the son. Come in my kingdom. Sit at my table and dine with me. And there you'll find freedom. There you'll find liberty. 
and we'll sit and we'll dine forever. That's the gospel, guys. That's the story. And then the second part of that verse says, go proclaim it. What does proclaim mean? But to, to herald it, to tell it, to explain it, to go. Listen to uh, Romans chapter 10, 10, 14 through 17. It says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. They are not going to believe unless somebody goes. That Christians, we have the most beautiful story ever. We have the balm, the salve that heals the heart and the soul. It's our job to go and tell to go proclaim. They will not believe unless we tell them. All right, nations, the last part. Talks about the nations, okay? So you proclaim the gospel to all nations. The Greek word here for nation is ta ethne. It's where we get our English word for ethnicity. So this isn't talking about a nation with a political boundary like Texas. <laughs> yeah, I like this. This is good. <clears throat> Rather, it's talking about an ethnicity, a people group. They have their own culture, their own language, their own worldview. And so Jesus is saying, if you will proclaim my story to all ethnicities, and they get a chance to hear and believe, like Romans 10 said, then I'll come back. All right, so let me give you an example. In India alone, there are 456 distinct languages. Those are people groups, guys. 456. Let that sink in. 456 in one nation alone. So if we say we're going to take the gospel to the nation of India, it's not the, the political boundaries, guys. It's the little boundaries all mixed in within. 456. In the world, there are 16,000 language groups. 16,000. And almost 7,000 of those are still unreached. They don't have access to the gospel of Jesus. 6,600 people groups. It's our job as believers to go and tell. So Jesus is saying, instead of getting caught up about when I'm going to return, I'm going to give you something to do about it. If your heart is crying out, I long to be with my king. I'm ready for this to be over. Life is hard. Life is tough. Get me out of here. He's saying, no, uh it's not about you. It's about me. It's about you going to tell my story of redemption to all these ethnicities. And I bet I know what you're saying now. All right. Spencer's the caboose of the missions weekend, you know, he's bringing up the rear. <clears throat> I'm not sure if that's a reference to my stature, but um, I'll pretend that it's not. I have my suspicions, but um, no, but I'm going to manipulate you, that I'm going to coerce you. I'm going to make you feel guilty where you're sitting right now, that you'll get up and go do something about it. And if that's what you're feeling, I'm not communicating. I'm not, I'm not getting across to you, okay? I don't want to coerce you or motivate you or mobilize you to do anything else. I don't want to add anything else on top of what you're already doing. Maybe we need to reevaluate, though. All right, Tim Keller, he says this really well. He talks about what Christian responsibility is, okay? 
So let's, let's put the missions thing on the side here for just a second. And let's talk about where all of us as Christians need to be. What all of us need to be doing. Okay? He says it like this. Christian ministry is taking your gifts and resources and serving people and meeting their needs in Jesus' name. Let me say it again. Christian ministry is taking your gifts and resources and serving people and meeting their needs in Jesus' name. We as Christians, all of us, should be in ministry, using our gifts and resources to meet and serve people in Jesus' name. All of us. All of us. The Latin word for sent is missio. That's where we get our English word for missions. We are a sent people. We have to go in order to love them and serve them and meet their needs in Jesus' name. It might be across the street, might be to the ends of the earth, but we as Christians are sent people. Matthew 28 gives us no excuse. The Great Commission, we are to be about going and discipling the nations that they may know Jesus, be baptized in his name and proclaim and teach and tell other people. That's who we are as Christians. All of us should be about Christian ministry, using your gifts and resources to meet their needs in Jesus' name. That could be physical. Go do it. That could be spiritual. Do it everywhere. I want to show you in Scripture four examples where when four guys meet God face to face, what happens? The first is in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham. Verses 1 through 4, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go to your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And we know that's Jesus, all right? Abram, at this point, already knows who God is. But this time, it's different. Abraham, he hears, he sees God face to face. And what does God do? He changes Abraham's perspective. It's not about you, Abraham. It's about me. Now that you finally see who I am, I'm sending you. I want you to go. And he goes to a foreign and strange land. Listen to uh, Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter 3. I'll just tell the story. So Moses, he's tending his father-in-law's flock, comes up on the side of a mountain. There's a bush burning. We all know the story. The bush is burning, and Moses is like, I'm going to go check this out. So he, as he walks close, there's a voice comes out of the bush. Very strange and odd, right? And Moses is like, Whoa, what's going on? And a voice comes out of the bush and says, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. So Moses does, and he says, who are you? What does God answer? I am. The I am was talking to Moses. The one who was and is and will ever be, I am. And Moses comes face to face with God. And what does God tell Moses to do? Go. When we encounter God, he sends us. And he goes. And he has his reservations. I stutter. I, I, I have problems. I can't speak very well. And he says, go. Just obey. You know who I am. I am, I am. Go. In Luke chapter 5, Peter is fishing in a boat with his buddies all night long. They've been fishing. Caught absolutely nothing. It's like me when I go fishing. And uh, he's exhausted. And he's coming into the shore. And Jesus says, hey, I need to use your boat as a stage. So Jesus gets in the stage, turns around, and teaches everybody on the shore. 
So he gets done, and he says, all right, Peter, let's go fishing. And Peter's like, are you kidding me? I just went all night long. Okay, fine, I'll go. And Jesus said, I want you to cast your nets over there. And he's like, oh, we've already done this, you know. But Peter does it. What happens? They catch so many fish. The nets begin to break. The boat starts to capsize. They have to get all their partners over to help, like offloading some fish. And what's Peter do when he realizes who Jesus is? He falls to his face. And listen to what he says. He says, he falls at Jesus' feet. On his face, he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Peter understands who it is that he's actually talking to. It clicks finally. Oh my goodness, this is God in the flesh standing right in front of me. And he sees God in all his holiness. He sees God in all his glory. And he falls at his face and says, get away. You're too holy. You're too righteous. Your glory abounds. And I'm just a wretched man. And he gets down on the ground and says, get away from me. But what's Jesus say? He looks at him and he says, Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. You'll be a fisher of men. He sends Peter. Peter sees Jesus face to face. And Jesus says, all right, now that you get it, I'm sending you. One more story. Isaiah chapter 6. It says that Isaiah saw the Lord high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the room. There was angels flying around with Two, they had a bunch of wings. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they covered their face. And with two, they flew. And they were crying out praises to God. Can you imagine that sight? Just imagine that for a second. The Lord high and exalted. And what's Isaiah do? He says, woe is me. Kind of like Peter. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And Jesus, God's going, you're getting it. You're getting it. So he says, you know what? Something. I need somebody to go to a people. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be really tough. They're not going to listen to you. In fact, they're going to ridicule you. They're going to laugh in your face. Anybody? And Isaiah goes, here I am. Send me. I mean, he just got the worst job description in the world. And he's like, here I am. Why? Why? because he saw the Lord for who he was. And that me, me, consumer mentality that we have, it gets shifted. It gets changed. We see God for who he really is and we become less me-centered and we become God-centric. And those risks don't look like risks anymore. People think you're nuts and you're radical and you're crazy for opening your door to people that you don't know. And you're going, are you crazy? Do you not know who he is? Do you not know that he's valuable and worth it? He's the almighty creator. He's the king who sent his son that I can have fellowship with him again. I'm opening my door. That's the least I could do. Our temporal focus gets an eternal perspective. And that's Christian ministry, guys. That's tied in with missions. When we go when we want to take our gifts and our resources as an act of worship for who he is and serve and meet people's needs in Jesus' name, that's what missions is. We go do that. And sometimes it takes big risks, big changes. Well, he's a big God. It's, It's worth it. It's worth it.
So when Jesus says, if you'll proclaim that good news to all nations, then the end will come. If you get that, if you see who he is and it starts to click with you, you're going to do something about it. You're going to realize that as a Christian, you have a responsibility to act. And you're going to look at it and you're going to say, Lord, where? Is it Lubbock? Is it Texas? Is it America? Is it to the ends of the earth? Is it Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth? Acts 1.8. We will do something. We are people of action. We are citizens that are being sent. But only if we are captivated like Isaiah and Peter and Moses and Abraham with who God really is. If you'll notice, out of the four examples, Abraham is the only one that left home and and country and went to a foreign and strange land. All the other ones went to their own people. Isaiah, that people group that we were talking about, the bad job description, that was his own people. Peter, he stayed predominantly in Jerusalem and in Israel, planting the church. Moses, he went back to his place of birth to get his ethnic people out. God doesn't have to just move you as far away as possible. He's saying wherever you are, wherever you are, be about my mission. Be about my kingdom. That's biblical hospitality, guys. Here in Lubbock, you open your door. Why? Because he is worthy to be known. It's no big deal to cook a meal for an international student. That's why we do the culture exchange, guys. It's our way in Lubbock to figure this out. That's why you have missionaries sent out from this church as we try to figure this out. So I don't know where you guys are right now. I hope you guys don't feel like I'm giving a guilt trip. I hope that you see from Scripture, man, that God is worth it. He is huge and big and good. I hope that the Lord would show up like Isaiah 6, that you would see the Lord for who He really is because that's when our perspective changes. And we quit seeking our comfort and we seek to make him famous. All right. I want to pray for us. But before we do that, I just want to ask everybody to uh, just bow your head and just take a minute to consider and, and pray. I want you to consider where you are with God. For the first time, you'll be wondering, I don't really know this God that I'm talking about. If that's the case, then, man, find somebody after the service to talk to you about what it means to be a follower and believer of Jesus. And let me just tell you, he's worth, he's worth it. Christian, you might be thinking, you know, I knew God like this a long time ago but not now. Life is real subtle. It can get away from you really quickly. So just take evaluation of where you're at. Would you endure to the end? Would you consider him worthy enough to open your door or pack up your house and move?
Father, I pray that the words in Matthew 24 would really take heart in us. That, Lord, as believers, we long for this all to be over and that we would finally be with you. To see you face to face, finally. To worship you for all eternity. But that, Lord, there's, there's lots almost 7,000 people groups around the world that don't have access to you. have no idea who you are. Lord, I pray that the ethnicities, the nations, would really begin to burn inside of us, Lord. We have ethnicities here in the city. We have African Americans and Hispanics and Asians Lord, their ethnicities too, they're different from us. Help us use our gifts and our, our resources to meet needs in your name. It's easier sometimes with Indians, Lord, or Pakistanis or Bangladeshis or Chinese. But Lord, we have our, our own ethnicities right here. And we do nothing. We don't seek to know them. We don't seek to share your name with them. Lord, help us as your church. Help us understand and that this love for you would just burn inside of us. That it would come out and we would proclaim the gospel, a testimony, what you've done in our lives. We would proclaim it so that we can finally be with you for all of eternity. Lord, may this not be something that we just pass over that we just forget as soon as we walk out this door. May we be Christians who are sent and sent in action. For you are worthy, Father. You are good, Jesus. And I'm so thankful that we gain nothing. We gain no no merit in going to tell your story. We just gain joy in knowing that someone finally knows the King. So help us do it, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.